hot mic. Hot, hot yeah. Mic. Hot mic. Hot, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There she is. She is good. Speaking of hot, yeah, look at who's back in the house. <laughs> hey, hot, yeah. Rachel Bitts is back. Can you believe it? You just never, you, you never really know where I'm going to pop up or what I will be doing when I do. Oh my God, I just spit out my coffee at that. <laughs> oh my God. For people who don't know our relationship, for our new listeners, by the way, welcome to the Women Your Mother. Weren't you about brought to you by Sales Gravy? If you're, if you're, if you're, if you're a new listener and you don't know, Rachel. Rachel is one of the OGs of the women your mother warned you about. Um, and uh, can you believe that this show is in its fifth season? This wow, show, yeah. This show is run for over four years, and we did three together, right? We did three and together, then, and then I like <laughs> went off the deep end, which I sometimes do. <laughs> you imploded. Yeah, yeah you, you know. know. Sometimes it needs to happen so that you can find clarity. 100%. 100%, which is a great segue into talking about why you are here today. Um, Talk about your newest book. And I think that clarity is such a great conversation. I had this conversation with another girlfriend last night and I wrote her, actually, it's the passage I sent you, the newest passage that came to me. I'm like, this is the introduction of the book, right? Of like... She was talking about, because I hooked her up with my therapist, and I should get major referral fees. My therapist texts me back, and she's like, yeah, thanks for the referral, but I'm still waiting for you to schedule your next appointment. <laughs> You're not cured. <laughs> we're never cured, you know? We're right. always we're always working on it, but it's, um, what I had said to this friend is that clarity comes from talking it out and from writing it out right from dumping it out that's where clarity comes from um even if you're like the most well-adjusted person clarity comes from just say your life is great you're gonna get more clarity when you talk things out and you announce them to the universe of this is what's going on or this is what i want and we're talking about the difference between what i'd put in this passage the difference between um chaos and contentment. And if you've lived a life of chaos, as many people have, because they've come from so much dysfunction, then your system is wired for chaos. And so any any moment of contentment feels wrong. Can I get an amen on that? You can get an amen on that. You know, some people are addicted to chaos yeah. and they don't actually really know it. Um. It's just what feels right, especially in our society of like, do more, be more, hustle more, um, that it's, and I'm the queen, was the queen of that. I have since sat uh, down yeah. from my throne uh, of, yeah. <laughs> the throne <laughs> of trying to do everything and conquer everything. Um, and you know what, the, what really opened the doorway to that was a, was a failure, um, and and so in this book, it, it's interesting. I'd been so really quick backstory on it. When COVID hit, I basically the whole reasoning behind starting the journey into the bodybuilding industry because I didn't want to get fat during COVID. I had this sense about me on that very first day. It was like March fifteenth that they closed the schools, mm -hmm. 
And I remember thinking on that day, like, hmm, this could turn ugly and people think it's going to be over like in two weeks. And as we know, it was a long time. So I made this conscious decision. I was not going to turn into uh, a slug and I wanted to change for the better during COVID. And so I got into this bodybuilding journey. I had no idea what I was doing, even so I've been a um, trainer for like 25 years, but I just didn't know the industry. And I learned I have learned so, so, so much. And this book was one part creating a guidebook for anyone who's aspiring to enter into that industry, because I there's just so many crazy little quirky things that you would never imagine that, you know, especially if you get into the industry with a bunch of people or a coach who's been there a long time, they don't necessarily know that you don't know what they're talking about. And so it has a lot of tips and tricks um, that I learned along the way that I would like for people not to have to learn the hard way if possible. But I also describe my journey. And um, during that journey, I the reason I got out of women, the, your mother warned you about partially was because I acquired a dance studio and I'd wanted that for years. I was like, it was yes, such it's a dream. It was such a dream for uh, you. Dream come true. And what I found in the year that I held that studio was that it was a whole lot, not what I expected. <laughs> and um, long story short, I ended up um, getting COVID actually like in would have been May, uh, sorry, March. Oh, hmm. May. I don't remember. March or May. Uh, one of the M's. <laughs> it was, uh, it in, was sometime in, 20- in 2022. I got sick and I was laying there and I, you know, this was also the time my husband and I still had two houses and it was just a lot of back and forth. And we had two houses because the kids were in different school districts and yada yada. And I just had this realization that, um, that I needed to get rid of the house and I needed to get rid of the studio. And I, um, it was just financially killing me. And more than that, you know, people, you can, there's always ways around financial hardship. But more so than that, I just, just, it didn't feel like what I wanted to commit to. And the the main reason is I was just completely not there for my family. Like Roxy was sitting at home every single night if, if they weren't with their dad. And I would get home at like nine o'clock at night. They'd be there by themselves for hours. And like, so anyway, long story short, I got the kids through the recital I got them to their nationals competitions and then I closed the studio and um, it was pretty ugly and I don't know that I did it the right way. I have I have been sorting through it for the last few months and but I just I did it and things are were really, really hard for a while and caused me to find humility um, in a big, big way, because you you think you you think that you have found your big dream and then you find out that, nope, that's not it. And um, it can cut, it can look on the outside like a giant failure, but in the end, it was the right thing to do for me. My life is so just sparkling amazing right now. My family is is doing really well. My daughter and I have this really tight relationship, which is a hard thing to do with a 14-year-old who is sorting themselves out. And um, my husband loves who I've become. I'm a lot calmer. Um, and I and the studio sorted itself out. I know that someone else took over. They're back to doing their thing. Um, I uh, it, it just but it gave me a really great sense of humility because I had to stand 
in what I decided I wanted to do um, and have a lot of people be angry with Mm -hmm. me and say some awful things to me. And I didn't respond to any of it because I I was letting them have their feelings because I was threatening what they loved and they deserve to they deserve to feel that. So anyways, all this to say, um, it felt like a big failure and I struggled for quite a few months figuring out what you know, how to how to feel about it. But what I found was just a great amount of humility that, you know, I've always thought that I gained I gained more a sense of myself by achieving things. Mm-hmm. But now I've found that it's not it doesn't have to do with that. It has to be has to my success has to do with each moment. Each the moment present moment is the only moment that lasts. And if I am successful in this moment with my family and with myself and I feel like I can move through the world with grace and courage, then that's it. I mean, so anyhow, throughout all of that part of it was interesting that the the juxtaposition of closing the studio and all of that coincided with me ending up at nationals in my um, in my division fitness division and I earned my pro card, which the IFBB pro card, it's kind of a status symbol, but really what it means is you're just back at the bottom again because now (laughs) I'm in the pro leagues and I'm looking at all these other gals that compete in my division. And, um, and, you know, it can be daunting to look at people that are further down the journey, the pathway that you'd like to go down. But at the same time, I just now look at it as exciting. Like I said to Gina, I text, we were texting back and forth about her book intro, which side note, I can't wait for (laughs) Gina's book to come out. Books. (laughs) I've been her greatest, her greatest fan waiting patiently, impatiently for years for this. So I'm glad about that. (laughs) I mean, this is a really great point that I want everybody to key in on. You don't have to be going and and competing uh, the way Rachel does, but you're talking about how, you know, you can be at the top of your game and in the top of your category and then that shifts you to the next level and you get to the next level, but you start at the bottom and that happens, that happens like, let's just think about anybody's career. You leave an organization, go to a new organization, you're the top dog at the last place. You go to the next place, you're back at the bottom and that takes a lot of a lot of a lot to to climb your way back to the top. Well, and even even when you're not changing organizations, if you're you're in a sales job and you score the biggest contract uh-huh. you ever have, yeah. Guess what? The next morning when you wake up, you still got to get out there and do it again. It does a it, win right. doesn't mean you're it means you're a winner for that for moment that, moment. that you hold that trophy. Yeah. Because it's been really interesting, like you can win overall everything at a competition or you can be the, you know, number one salesperson of the year. But the the clock resets itself Mm -hmm. as soon as you step off of that little podium and take your little award. (laughs) And by Monday, nobody gives a shit anymore. Exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly. And I think Jeb talks about this, too. It's like it doesn't you know, it doesn't matter what you did five minutes ago. It's like, what are you doing right now? And what are you doing to plan for the future? And he is on a he is on a rampage right now, um, which I love because he's like every day messaging us on 
pushing us, right? Like pushing us. Like I stated my prospecting plan for the morning before he could, before he could get on there and tell us, you know, get out there. I'm like, here's my plan. Then he debunked it and gave me a different challenge. But I'm like, cool, awesome. Um, it doesn't matter what I did yesterday. He even sent out the numbers of where everybody stands this, so far this year. And I'm like, wait a second, my numbers are higher than that. But it doesn't matter because that's in the past what I've already done. The other side to it is if you epically fail yesterday, that also doesn't matter because today yep. is another opportunity to start again, learn from it. Um, and that's one important thing. There's a couple of important things that, that I hope people can take away from my book, but it's one important thing is like you either win or you learn. Yeah. We've and talked about that my, before. We did an episode called that. Oh yeah, I think we did. And I, in writing this little book, I, the very first competition I went to, I was completely convinced because I thought that that's what I needed to think. Yeah, I, that I remember I to that. Drill yeah. into my mindset, I'm going to win everything. I'm going to be number one. I'm going to be overall. I have a dance background. I know the stage. I am I'm better all than everybody. But I think you need I, that winning I, attitude. I, I, I needed that to get through my first show. And I think that it, it helped me, but it also set me up for a big letdown because yeah. I ended up placing like eighth last. or something. Yeah. No, no. I placed last in four classes. So that means I paid like, a huge amount of money to place last. <laughs> like I looked back while I was writing this book and I added it in the book. Like I was 13th in this one. I was four. I was 12th. But I was last. And what happened was, you know, when, when you get end up in that position because I was shocked to that I was the last and I was trying to be yeah. like positive about it. You were you were a little but devastated. I was I was devastated. But what it did to me, the type of person that I am, it drove me to immediately set the next goal. And I think that's a really important thing Ooh. to do either when you win or when you don't win. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the way that you wanted. Yeah. You've got to set the next goal. And um it, it's important um Especially even at a really high level, like example, I um, trained and I talk about this in my book with Lanny Basham, who's the founder and creator of Mental Management Systems. He was an Olympic rifle competitor. And the first time he went to the Olympics, he placed, he got silver, which he was like, that's the highest level that you can be a loser, <laughs> basically. But um, he went on to interview all these gold medalist to see what they had what was the key what was he missing he, he his skill level was such that he should have won gold but he didn't and he knew that his mindset was what messed him up so he created this system a mental management system that helped him to go win gold but what happened when he won the gold medal is he kind of like had went into a depression until his wife pointed out that he hadn't set the next goal and you can, and I, I've heard that that happens like for Super Bowl winners and things like that, where you win at the highest level. If you haven't set the next goal, you're in for a letdown because the the mind needs something to go toward. You're not just done if, unless you're you're like, yeah, I reached my goal and fall over dead. Like otherwise, you got to have something else that drives you forward, especially if you're a high level competitive person. Yeah. yeah. So the mindset piece is is huge. And that that's a big part of this book. But the other part is the importance of coaching mm -hmm. and having good coaches. Mm -hmm. And some people think they can do it alone, which some people can. And as you know, being a coach and being my first coach ever, 
<laughs> officially um, in business years ago, you, you you need somebody to help you through, keep you accountable, and also most importantly, a person that has a better perspective than you because a coach generally tends to have about a better 10,000 foot view than the actual athlete or salesperson or person that's being coached because they're so focused on their successes and failures and, and the process. And the coach can keep you on track by remembering the big picture when you might forget it. Yeah, I think what I really loved about coaching you and, and everybody that I work with is that I can see the things that you've got blinders to. Mm -hmm. And you might actually be aware of it, but you are in denial of, uh, but not just of negative, but of the positive, because we also forget to recognize things that we're really good at. Um, I, I Again, I shared this with a friend last night. I'm like, the things that get in my way, which sounds weird, is sometimes the fear of success versus the fear of failure. I'm like, oh, God, if I do this one thing, it's going to elevate me to the next level, which is way more responsibility or higher expectations. And then the fear of success is really about if I get to that next point, then there's a higher probability of failure in an area that I'm uncomfortable with. And so there, there's not just fear of failure, there is fear of success. And sometimes you need like a coach to like point out to you, I'm like, hey, you're really good in these areas. I, I think that happened with us. I mean, I love this story. I mean, maybe I, you can tell the story about when I did a mastermind weekend with a bunch of women entrepreneurs. And this was in the very beginning of what what now is my selling with stories course. And I had you all do stories using a story framework. Do you remember that moment? I don't remember my story framework. I remember the selling like a child because I went to a pretty bad place. But Oh, yeah, that <laughs> but, was uh, another that was another <laughs> like never, ever say this is one thing I learned. And I accidentally did this with a bunch of military guys recently. And they're <laughs> like, uh, because I'm like, think back at a time in your childhood and all of their eyes, <laughs> all these military bulky, Ooh. like all their eyes were like, could we come up with a different scenario? I'm like, yes. <laughs> right. Because a lot of people don't want to think about their childhood because it was rough but in that that framework the selling with a which is now selling with a story framework i have you go through the framework and one of the things you were struggling with early on when you were focusing on your fitness business and training business is that you were really frustrated with your target audience cuz you're like why won't these moms da, 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 da. like you were like so frustrated with these stay at home rich mommies and I'm like wake up they look at you and they're scared and you're like they should be motivated by that yeah yeah we all want to look like you and then it looks like it's impossible to do that so let's not go there and and that was my perspective of what you were dealing with I'm like you've got to find some humility and be really authentically yourself for people to be like, oh, yeah, I totally want to work with her. I can totally relate to that. So in that storytelling framework, like I'm going to try not to cry because I always cry when I tell this story because I've told this story many times without you around. You went on to tell the story of your eating disorders as a child. And that was the story you laid out. And that was the most real story that almost I don't know what the percentages are, but 
there's probably 50% of us women who have stumbled around some kind of eating disorder or some body image it's hard situation. not to in today's world. It's hard. I re- like, I remember. I like. I worry about the girls today, and 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 like your daughter. But I remember being in middle school and being obsessed with an eating disorder because I was because you start hearing it, you start getting bullied, and I'm like, all right, well, what do I need to do here? Right. And and it be, and it kicked in. My eating disorder kicked in in middle school. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mine, mine was about the time. It was definitely around the, like the age that Roxy is, like 14, 15. It was when it got bad. And let me tell you something. I have, <laughs> I've danced, I danced around all of the eating disorders, every single thing that you could think of in my dance career. Pardon the pun, but really, truly. And then I had my first marriage, which was pretty abusive. Like everything was, everything leads back to the fact that I just didn't believe myself and I thought I needed to be better, whatever. And it's important to want to be better, but not to feel like you're not enough. But yeah, after that marriage, I had tons of therapy, which is, you know, also a great thing. And I thought I had those demons licked, but let me tell you what, you remember this because you were part of this. After I think it's my second season, I talk a lot about this in my book because um, I have a whole chapter on the, the letdown and the dark side of the industry because after my second season, I went into my reverse diet, which is basically like, yeah, I remember you that. Go, oh. you, you go you go into competition and prep and you just look so amazing, but it's really actually disordered eating. Yeah. <laughs> it's like controlled starvation. That was your big aha. Yeah. And I... I thought I had my demons licked, but during that second reverse, I battled. It was re- it was the craziest thing because all these demons came out of Pandora's box and it hit me broadside. I did not see it coming. Um, I really was struggling with some darkness, like the ugly cries at night and really feeling alone because you know how it is. We've talked about this, Gina, that I didn't want anybody to think I wasn't perfect mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't want anybody that you had it, that you had everything under control. That I had it together, that I was amazing. Like they thought I was and all this, but really the fact was I was just struggling. I, <laughs> I wrote a lot about it. I was trying to be as real as possible in this book about like standing at the pantry, binge eating Ritz crackers, which I don't even like going to crumble cookies and getting not one for y'all four crumble cookies and ate them all in the car on the way home like a ravenous beast that had been in you know in prison with no food for months like it was crazy (laughs) and i just didn't really know how to i just i it was different than when i was young when i was hiding it from everybody i was trying Mm -hmm. to talk about it which is really an important thing when you go through this darkness we think that we don't want anybody to know about our darkness but this was one thing that i did learn in that same mastermind was you've got to shine a light on that darkness so that others can number one come in and help you but so others who are suffering the same way can can follow you know follow the right pathway because you're shining a light on it rather than keeping it in the dark the dark demons mm-hmm. don't like the light they they like the darkness mm-hmm. they want to keep you in it but talking to people i went back to therapy um and after the fact, I'm glad I went through it because I still had unresolved. I mean, I probably still have unresolved issues on that. 
but I'm yeah. so much better at it now because I've been reversing for I'm on like week 30 of reversing and it's going really well. And now I don't it's really it's a hard thing to look at food and not make it emotional. But once once I've figured out to make food fuel and it, it, and not make it a, a, a reward or a, a punishment or a comfort or whatever the things that all the things that we do, all the things. Yeah. Um, it's been helpful to look at it as fuel towards my goals. And, you know, I try to think of it as putting high test fuel into my machine so that it operates properly. It is hard. It's because as soon well, as you I, have I a bad think... day, you're like, I want cookies or I am. I want cookies. All of the cookies. Yeah. And I, and I think also for you, I mean, that was such an aha moment. I remember that moment when it hit you that what you were doing was actually an eating disorder, right? Like it was prescribed to you to do these things that actually fell in the realm of eating disorder. And that was kind of, it was an aha to me too. I was like, oh shit. Mm-hmm. It's like putting a drug addict in like a house of drugs. Right. Right. And, like, yeah. And there's, all you know, yeah, because like there's part of me that's like my past history of eating disorders and controlled eating was actually a benefit in a way to this industry because you have to really control yourself. Yeah. But the, the, it doesn't have to be disorderly, let's call it. Oh, OK. It can yeah. because it's a purposeful act. And. And now, like I said, I, I'm in this phase. It's an interesting opposite phase because I have to eat all this food, like a lot more food than sometimes I even want to. But that's part of the the build process, the off season process of building muscle. Um, but it there there is a benefit to facing your demons. Like if you were to take a somebody who really wants to recover, and this is actually you know what they do do in recovery is they'll take. Um, uh, people in in my AA groups because I've been sober for a ten, almost eleven years at this point. Um, but there's uh, a place in Myrtle Beach area called the Lighthouse, and they'll take you know every week a group goes to the Lighthouse, which is a recovery center, to talk to these folks that are in rehab and give them some hope and some you know experience, and you can see it like. If you see where the struggle is, where you once were, it's helpful to keep you moving towards where you'd like to be. That makes sense. Yeah, it it totally does. It makes total sense. So I'm glad that I went through that hard part, but I think that it isn't, it's something that most, especially like witnessing this industry of bodybuilding. And I think it's what every industry does in social media. You see everybody posing and positioning and you know mm-hmm. and looking so good at all the things and show prep and the glam and all the girls that are you know the olympia happened in on december 17th and i was having a lot of fun watching the olympians get ready it was so inspiring to me um but you don't see this dark side as often i really applaud those that bring that to the light because everybody goes through it um, after speaking to some people that have been in, in, in this, huh? that have been in the industry for a long time, they agree it's all it's going to show up if you're in this industry for any period of time. And I think it's going to show up for anybody that's in any industry. Like 
If you're in sales and you're kicking ass and suddenly you go through a period that is a slump, it you're gonna have a down, you're gonna have a letdown, you're gonna have find that dark side at some points. I know Jed's got some great (laughs) ways to get out of when you enter into a slump, but it, it because it's always your fault when you get into the slump and you can get yourself out of it, but it's there. And I think that acknowledging the dark side and at least trying to prepare that it's going to show up eventually is going to help you a little bit, at least to not feel like I felt, which was I just felt like so alone and I didn't know what to do. And it took me a little bit to realize I just needed to talk about it and like be honest and be like, I need help. Please, somebody help me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that's huge. I was I was talking to someone yesterday um, about a mastermind group that I may be joining. And I said, you know, tell me some of the stories um, of the impact that this mastermind group has had on some of the members. You know, what could I expect? And, you know, she shared a bunch of success stories. But one of the stories, which I think really... I mean, some of the stories were spectacular. Like, you know, one person was able to get in to the White House with her business and like this, like spectacular stories. But one was about a woman who was really struggling in her business and going through a divorce with two young kids and people like telling her, you need to step away. You need to get your shit together. I mean, I think you gave me one of those talks before I left my ex-husband. And, you know, when you're in it, it's really hard to see what's going on. And she had reached out to this group that she belonged to, like, help me. I don't know what to do. Help me. And all these women just jumped in to help her. Because when you're in that hard spot, you you can't see clearly. You And you almost can't take the coaching either. You got to hit hard, like you got to hit rock bottom sometimes in, in a situation to be able to pull pull yourself back up. But we do have to find people that we can count on, that we can bounce off of. I mean, even you and I, you know, when we first started this show four years ago, part of it was coming from a place of frustration of feeling alone in what we do as business owners at that time um, and feeling different from everybody and it was kind of like hey let's remember that there are people out there that we can reach out to for some level of support that are going to be able to empathize or have walked in our shoes and high achievers sometimes are fearful of reaching out because we don't want people to see that we're struggling but the reality is that we're wired as humans to want to help each other so the second you raise your hand and say help me Someone is going to take delight in being able to be the person to prop you back up. Yeah. And it definitely, it's another part of humility of just letting go of trying to appear perfect on the outside and trying and even just caring. You just got to open yourself to allowing and you may it may be surprising who it is that helps you. You know, you just don't know who may give you the best insight. And that's why in this mm-hmm. situation that I was in with um <laughs> funnily enough funnily enough, it took me longer to come clean, if you so to speak, with my head coach 
than with my even my training coach. Like I went to my training coach who's kind of like second in command in my coaching team. My nutrition coach is who I should have been talking to, but it took me like maybe two weeks to like come clean with her and tell her. And uh, which, duh. I remember you being afraid to go to her with it. I was afraid and I told her I was afraid because I wanted her to think I was perfect. And it was, she was like, that's what I'm here for. And like, (laughs) duh. And so when I finally came clean with her, immediately she directed me to another one of the coaches on the team who is an eating disorder specialist. Even Lauren was had the foresight to go, okay, I'm not the best one to handle this. Let me send you over to Kelly. Kelly specializes in eating disorders. And I immediately got on the phone with Kelly and we we created a better plan for me to to follow. And I just was like slapping my head that, but it's just, it's shame. It's surrounded in, I was surrounded in shame. Mm-hmm. I was ashamed of my behavior and I didn't know what to make of it. I, and I'm so glad that I did reach out to, and got support because then I was able to move through it instead of completely destroy myself and just make things worse. And I've seen it. I've, I've watched it in other athletes that have gone through it longer and then created further more damage to their body and to their mind before actually coming clean with it with somebody anybody you know um mm-hmm. and i think all of that in in a sales environment as well if you just feel like you're completely failing and you get in that world it's like a whirlpool of fe- of failure where you just you don't want to tell anybody you can't get out of it you're beating yourself up mentally you keep doing the behavior you can't figure out what to change and sometimes when you find the right person to speak to you or actually speak to your damn coach um they're just going to give you those couple small little small life buoys to hold on to to keep you afloat until you can shake yourself out of it Mm -hmm. and and going back to the therapy piece of this like you know if you've listened for a long time that rachel and i have many times talked a lot about therapy and the value of therapy we all have baggage from different life experiences. One thing that became really clear to me over over the past year is that I had some PTSD with some things um, that that was affecting, severely affecting my success. And walking through that with a therapist was super helpful. With that being said, there are a lot of therapists out there, but they're not all great. So you have to really find someone who is going to have that impact. And the therapist I ended up with really had that impact on me that she was able to help me unpack things that I didn't realize I was carrying around with us. And if you're a high achiever, right, you put that negative stuff behind you, you put the failures behind you, you pick yourself up, you dust yourself off and you push forward. And that's resilience. And that's awesome. That is an awesome skill to have, an awesome attribute. At the same time, don't ignore the little shit going on because it's just like Rachel explained, you know, it's it's brewing down there somewhere. And then all of a sudden it takes one event to trigger the demons to then send you into a tizzy. So and it doesn't have to be therapy, like write it out, talk it out, find someone to talk to, get it out of your system to start processing what's going on with you. And same in business. Sometimes you have to be part of another group or have a coach that's going to help you process the things that are getting in your way. And it might not be 
emotional baggage. It just might be some stumbling blocks you have. And someone's going to help you eliminate those stumbling blocks or improve in areas that you need to improve in. You have to raise your hand and say, help me. Definitely. And and also with those those hard things like the the PTSD and and the the hard things that you've been through you could turn them on your head with the right person guiding you i don't know that yeah. it's a great you know there's different schools of thought of how to deal with your past demons but i do definitely believe that it's like in a dream and a nightmare the the my nightmares usually tend to be about the bad guy chasing me <laughs> and and but if you stop and turn around and face your demons it's really, really hard. And yet it will dissipate that fear, the fear that's driving you. You know, I'm in, I'm into facing my fears lately, especially just I've, I've seen uh, there's been a lot about hmm, in the last year, there's been four people close, close to me and my family that have passed away. And a couple, like two of those have passed peacefully. Two of those have passed in kind of a tragic way. Um, and it's got me, you know, I'm entering that phase in life where people are dying. And, you know, once you reach a certain age, then people around you are passing on. But what it's what it has given me is this sense of every day counts. Every moment matters. It doesn't have to be an epic moment or a tragic moment, but every moment matters. And the, the sands of time are ticking away. So now I'm like, even so, I just talked about people passing away. Like I read this um, Bruce Lee quote recently, and it's a really great quote. Uh, I could probably find it, the full quote, but it, the main part that I <laughs> gravitate towards lately is you gotta, you don't want to stay on a plateau. If it kills you, it kills you. But you got to keep moving forward. And and so like a certain, especially a lot of these athletic things that I'm learning right now, I'm, I'm actually in uh, Eastern Tennessee, learning a bunch of new skills. And it's like, my thought is like, you're not going to die. Just try it. Like, you're not, you're not actually going to die trying this <laughs> skill because that's kind of what my fear is with some of this, um, tumbling and athletic, like stuff that I'm not, it's not my forte, but I have to literally tell myself that I'm not going to die trying. And I worked, uh, my first tumbling coach. He's a world-class gymnast and he said he still has to tell himself he's not going to die sometimes like because the fear is there. But the difference is, are you willing to face that fear and grow from it and find out, hey, I didn't die. Guess what? I can do that. It's actually not as scary as I think. Or are you willing to let the fear just hold you back? And I think it's tragic that there's people out there that tell themselves they're too old or they're too fat or they're not pretty enough or they're not smart enough or they're not they don't have the skills like just go find the guru and learn the skills that you want and grow like fate turn around if you've been through a tragic childhood if you went through trauma and horrible situations like i know that you have in your past gina like try to face it and like because otherwise it just eats away at you Instead mm -hmm. of dry, like being something you can go to, like, hey, you know what? I went through this in the past and I survived that. 
I can do this right now. I can make this sales call to this high profile yeah, client. Well, I was <laughs> I was just gonna say I there a couple couple thoughts I have on this. For one, I did have a personal trainer that you know, Molly, who would say to me, a minute is not gonna kill you, right? Like a minute of planking is not gonna kill you. A minute of of uh, mountain climbers is not going to kill you. Like she would say this to me. She's like, you can do anything for a minute. But in the moment, I'd be like, this is killing me. It depends on the scenario. A a minute of, you know, cold calling is not going to kill you, right? These things are not going to kill you. And I had another thought, but I forgot. What was the last thing you said? Facing your fears and moving, using your, using your past like hardships to yeah bolster using you. using yeah using the past shit as a way to push you forward of like you've done hard stuff before this is not hard and you got to remind yourself just think of some hard stuff you've been through like think of some of the hardest moments and then be like oh this is this is easy peasy right um i had done a talk uh, i think it was last year um, locally for um, someone I had been working with for years. They asked me to come speak to um, these a bunch of admins. It was Admins Professionals Day. And they had booked me in 2019, way before COVID happened, way before I got with Sales Gravy. And they kept rescheduling it. And by the time I, by the time it was time for me to speak, the topic was no longer relevant. And I had to come up with something and I, I was in the moment, and so I did this keynote without a script, without preparation. And I spoke from the heart about 2020 of what I had been through without dramatizing it too much, just sort of stating the facts, but how it, it, it bolstered me that I could do anything, that I could get through anything. And there were a line of women wanting to talk to me. There were women crying. It was one of my biggest aha moments that story matters. And people want to hear your story. It motivates them. It inspires them. But oftentimes we're like, well, what's my story going to do? I even downplayed it. I'm like, everyone had a hard 2020. My 2020 is nowhere near as arduous as some people. So I don't want you to think, you know, woe is me or, you know, worse things for me. Like I downplayed it. I've I've done that talk a couple times where people like saw me at that talk and they're like, can you come talk? And I had one person say to me, I think we were doing, we were doing a storytelling exercise and she said, I can't follow that. I can't follow your story. Like that story of 2020. Oh my gosh. I don't know how you got through that. I, I could never do what you did. I can't follow your story. I, I can't talk next. And I'm like, disregard my story then, right? Because you have your own stories. This is not about whose tragic story is worse than someone else's tragic story. The reality is, is that we all have a story that will inspire someone else. Period. End of story. So lean into those hard time stories to then remind yourself like, huh. I got to make calls for 10 minutes. I Jim just gave me a challenge this morning of something he wants me to do. I'm like, yeah, okay. That's how hard is that? <laughs> I'm not going to die. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to die. I had, there's a story in this book and I, it was a really profound moment for me about how much more we're capable of 
and how our mind will tell us and other people will tell us that we can't do something and the limitations. So I was doing, this was, uh, would have been season two of my comp, comp competing. And I put, added my, um, current trainer and I was really super excited and overzealous and I tend to overdo shit as you know. No. So, mm -hmm. so I overdid it on this leg day. And the next day I woke up and I was like, I didn't, I didn't know that I injured myself, but gradually over the next day, my knee swelled up to the size of a grapefruit. Couldn't walk. It felt like a house of cards was going to collapse. I didn't know what was going on. Got some crutches the next day because I was limping around. It just got worse and worse. And the Monday I went to see my ortho and he's like, oh yeah, you got a pretty severe meniscus tear. But you don't need those crutches. You'll be all right. But I just, I didn't, I was like, I, can't, I don't know. And then at the same time, I was prepping and my coach, Lauren, was like, yeah, we need you to run. We need you to start running more because we need to bring those glutes in. And that's going to be a really good way to do that. And I'm looking at my crutches. I remember sitting at the table <laughs> looking. I get this text. I look at my crutches. I look at my knee. I burst into tears. I go through all the emotions everything i'm like oh my god i can't do this and felix is like oh this is ridiculous and like uh so i go through all these emotions and then at the very like at the end of the evening i looked online <laughs> not always the best idea but this is what i did i searched running on a torn meniscus you know let's see what it is because i didn't want to like be sidelined and the article that popped up was <laughs> Allegedly, I don't know if it really was a doctor, but it was a doctor talking about, you know what, you either run on torn meniscus and it hurts or you don't run and it hurts. So I was like, OK, hmm. I'm going to see what happens. So I went to sleep that night and I was like, OK, God, if you if it's your will for me to run tomorrow, I'm going to do it. I'm going to leave this to you. So the next day I get up, I go to the gym. I actually did a leg day. And then I, I, st I remember getting on this treadmill and I'm like, let's see what happens. And I start walking and then I cranked it up. It felt okay. I started running and I swear to you, Gina, it was like that, that Forrest Gump moment where the, he's running and the, the braces yeah, fall yeah. off his legs and he just yeah, is running. Yeah. Like I, I hit the wall. I had hit the wall and I it was experimenting with pushing the wall. And I pushed right through that motherfucker and I fucking ran <laughs> like Forrest Gump for like 45 <laughs> minutes or something, 30 minutes, let's call it. And I remember getting home and Felix was so pissed because he's like, you went to the gym and ran, didn't you? And I was trying to explain to him like, yeah, it was amazing. I'm OK. I made it. I like because the, it really does happen a lot of times like you go see a doctor. I saw it a lot with my dancers. They have a little injury and they go see the doctor and. I'm not discounting what a doctor is going to say. And I'm not telling yeah, you that yeah. if you tear your meniscus, you should run. Go see a doctor. I'm just saying my experience was I found that I had more than I thought. And that was that was a big moment for me to realize there's more than there's more than I think. And I, I remember doing that when I was with Sales Gravy as well with sales calls. I had my list. I'd put set my timer. And about halfway through that list, you hit that wall and you're like, oh, man, that last call sucked. Whew. And you kind of will tell yourself that you're hurt and you need to quit. And everybody, you've done enough today. And you, you can, you know, and the people around you will tell you, 
you can you can sit it out. It's cool. You're hurt. Just take a couple weeks. Like, but you have to know yourself and know if you really want to push forward. Test the waters. Like, be safe. <laughs> but especially in a sales environment, like, push through. Like, just just don't think. Five, four, three, two, one. Make the call because you are capable of more than you think. Your brain is there to protect you. And you know, I, I love all the brain science that Jeb gets into. And I'm, I pretty much all of his books, he goes into that brain science of fight or flight and the amygdala and the, you know, all that stuff. Like, you've got to figure out, is it just a little, little butt hurt and you just need to push through? Or is it like a serious injury? Like, you know, but generally there's more in the tank. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the moral of the story is that no matter how prepared or ill-prepared you are, you just have to do something. Do one thing, do something, and you're not going to die. You might you might be doing it on a torn meniscus and and then you're like you're down, but you you don't know until you try it and you push through it. Either way, slow progress is progress. Slow progress is progress. So you have to, you just have to try it no matter how ill-prepared you feel that you are. I remember the first time I ran a 5K and I had prepared for it and I did the um, um, couch potato to 5K app and, you know, a little bit every day, every day, every day, every day. Um, But then I ran out of the discipline of doing it every day. So when it was time to do this first race, I was like, oh man, I've yet to actually run the solid 5K and now I got to do the run. And I'm like, well, I just told myself, I'm like, I'm showing up because I already had this accountability of several friends going. And I'm like, I can't back out now. I said it'd go. So I have to go to bare minimum to support. But I'm like, I told myself, I'm like, just walk it. Just walk it. You can walk it. And and the friend I was talking to last night, she used to run a lot and she's been out of it. Um, and she just started running again. She's like, I'm not ready, but I'm just gonna walk it. And so I walked into that, literally walked in and like I'm gonna walk. And I started walking, and there's something about the energy around me of everybody running. (laughs) I was like, I can run a little bit. I mean, I did do partial couch potato to 5k i did i'm like so i could theoretically run a little bit and walk the rest so i started running i'm like i'll just run for a few minutes and then i'll walk and damn if i ran that whole thing you go girl (laughs) i ran right i ran the whole thing and it was the first time i got through the entire 5k Without, right, we get so stuck in over preparation. Mm-hmm. Like, I need to do all this preparation so that I can actually do it. And sometimes you don't have time for preparation and then you just have to do it. And it might be messy and it might be sloppy and it m- might not get completed, but you did something towards it. And like, I literally cried at the finish line. I was like, oh my God, I actually did this. The euphoria. Right. Of like, I did this. Now we could start drilling in like, hey, what was the timing? Like, how fast did you go? Right. Then that's like next level. Right. Next level. Like, OK, next time I want to shave off 30 seconds. Right. Whatever. You just have to you just have to do it. I want to um talk about your book a little bit. 
I know this book is going to be really, really helpful for for people who want to go and compete like you do, uh, but coming from a sales background like you do as well. What are some nuggets from your book that would translate into anything really to be successful? Well, the biggest piece of it is the mindset piece. Um, I thought going into this industry that that the workout part was the most important part. And then I thought it was the nutrition part, but it's really the mindset part. The Your mindset towards growth and progress is crucial. And I talk a lot about this and it is, you know, part of like that meniscus story. Discipline is the key to basically changing your DNA. If you and I got to give credit to David Goggins on that. He he said that in his most recent book. Um, and it's really stuck with me that discipline is your key. When your mind doesn't want to do it, like you said, you, you, you didn't want to go do that 5K, Gina, but you had the discipline mm-hmm. to show up. And mm-hmm. discipline is is really the biggest key in your mindset. Because that's people, people come at me a lot and ask me, you know, they're interested because they, they want to have that body or they're just interested in what I'm doing. And the mindset is the, the key because the mindset is what helps you show up and do all the reps at the gym. The mindset is what helps you make sure that you're on track with your nutrition. Your mindset is what gets you up each day to show up and make the calls that you need to make. Your mindset is what keeps you going when you're struggling, struggling with a disease or a divorce or a hardship or a loss. So the mindset piece is really it. And I talk a little bit about my mental management training and how you can use it. And mental management is basically the optimal thing to think about before, during, and after a task. Because that's really what it is. When you're, when you're hesitating to make the call, it's because you're all caught up in your head. If you have a very simple system, and Jeb's got some great systems that for salespeople, But if you have a system that helps you focus so that you can execute the task consistently, under pressure, on demand, that's what you want. And that's what mental management is, is to be able to, the optimal thing to control what you think about before, during, and after a task, especially to do it on demand, under pressure. And the most of the time, the pressure that we put is, the pressure is being put on us by our own self. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, you can be, and that's the beauty of this is you can be on an Olympic level of pressure, but you can, if you have your mindset under control, it's no big deal. It's just another day doing your thing. So that's the most important key and, and discipline. Just lean into the reps, lean into doing the deal over and over you're going to make breakthroughs if you just continue to show up and do the reps, make the calls, refine the, 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 the script or the, the sales pitch or whatever it is that you want to call it that you've got to do to execute your personal best. Like everyone in their work, in their, even in raising children, you've got like a, you've got tasks that you've got to execute. And a lot of times you don't feel like doing it because you're afraid and you're whatever and you're or you don't or you don't know how to do it yeah and so the 
the fear holds you back. You don't know how to do it. And I think this this goes hand in hand with the reps, right? So you you do it again and you're like, okay, I did this one better. So, okay, this one worked, right? You have to keep trying it, trial and error. Yep. Until you get to to a system or a strategy that then works. Like going back to talking about frameworks, right? You try you try picking up the phone, you try do, using your framework and it doesn't work. And you're like, what is wrong with this framework? That, I mean, I coach a lot of people in that and they'll come back to me and say, can you look at my framework? Because it's just not working. Yeah. Right. And then somebody can be outside looking and tweaking it and go, oh, here's here's why it's not working. Right. In my in my opinion. So I think if, you know, the fact that you're so coached up and I'm so happy that I was the first coach to open the coaching Pandora's box for you. But, you know, if you find the right coach as well to coach you through that process, that too is going to up your game like it. Because I I lost track of how many coaches you have. (laughs) I've got a few. And, you know, the other part of it is the more that you continue on the path and allow your coaches to to give you that feedback and not take it as a failure or like that you're not good enough. It's just part of the process. And again, like you said, Gina, a lot of times we're when we're in process, we can't we have these blinders on and we need that coach to tell us, hey, you're you're not a big fat fucking loser. It's just that, you know what, your framework needs this tweak and this tweak. And, you know, with with experience, I have and humility, I have found that it's not like, well, you know, I'm uh, well, fine then, <laughs> you know, because if you're not if you're not open and coachable, you could take feedback poorly and not be able to advance by taking the feedback because you just don't see it. Like, yeah, you just don't see that you're thank you for the framework was the word I was looking for. <laughs> I couldn't remember. <laughs> like, it's not that your framework is bad. Um, it's just that it, it's just a, the way that you did it this time. And you could do it better. It's not optimal. Right. It's not optimal. Exactly. That's what's going on. I think about just from a physicality for what you do too, right? Like we're talking framework, but even your your fr- the frame of your body, right? How you're holding your body and positioning and posing, right? That's the frame. And you think you're doing it right and the judges don't like it. You've talked to me about this before of like, you know, your ass wasn't big enough. That was, you know, that was a reality. Right. So then you got to go in and pump up your ass. Right. <laughs> Correct. And the, and one thing that is very interesting in this industry, and I think that it can apply to any arena, is when you show up to compete, one judge might tell you that your ass isn't big, big enough, i.e. that you need yep. to develop the yep. glutes. But you might show right? up at the next show and then you get the opposite feedback. Yep. So yep. remembering that yeah. when you approach a sales call and it, what you're doing absolutely doesn't work for this person, this this exactly. prospect. Yep. It, it may not be you or it might not be your framework. Yes. It might just be the wrong prospect. It, it might, might just, be the target. Yeah, it might just and it might also be. And I know that you've talked about this. and Jeb's talked about this in his books. It might be that person's having a shitty day and it was just the wrong time. Yeah. It has nothing to do with anything. Exactly. Be clear on who your audience is, right? Like, so whether it's for you judges or people, um, like I had a client who her boss gave her a list. They invested money in a list, a call, you know, a, a, a prospect list. And 
she was having zero luck actually anybody answering the phone. And, and you know, and, and a lot of people are still today are like, nobody answers the phone, which is BS. People still do answer the phone. But nobody was answering the phone. And I did sit with her on a call block on Zoom and nobody answered the phone. And she was getting frustrated. And I'm like, maybe this is a bad list. I mean, there's a chance that this list that you guys bought is a bad list, right? And I went back to her boss to say, let's look at this list, right? You're frustrated that she's not getting a hold of anybody. I've sat there with her. Maybe the list she bought is not the best list. So be really clear too on who you're targeting. Now at the same time in observing her, the voicemails she was leaving, she was not using the right framework for that. So then I was able to witness it, tweak it for her. And I'm like, all right, this could be a combination of a bad list and bad framework. Now we know, but someone's got to observe that and give you that feedback. I would like your feedback um, because as you know, I'm I'm very into coaching. We have a coaching program at Sales Gravy. I'm always looking for some, like, I, I don't know, I hate calling it a testimonial, but obviously I was your first coach. What would you say to someone who is giving thought to hiring a coach, has never done it, they don't know if they should be doing it um, to up their game in sales. Why coaching? Why does it, why did it work for you? Well, as we've talked about it, it gives someone to give you accountability, which is number one. That's big, the biggest thing for me is like, if I'm in the gym and I know I'm supposed to do 12 reps of this, I, for me, I know if I don't do the 12 reps, my coach is going to be like, why didn't you do the 12 reps or whatever? You know, accountability piece, the support piece, the perspective piece, I think, and I do talk about this in in my book of selecting a coach and the process of selecting a coach. You, as the person seeking a coach, need to know what your goals are. You need to ha- be organized when you you need to spend time researching coaches and like see if you can find past clients of these coaches and see what their experience was. Have the right questions to ask so that you can make sure that this coach is aligned with you. I think what really worked so well with you and I was that you were able to be empathetic for some of the things I was going through, and yet you pushed me. Um, and a, the right coach and the right fit will know how hard they can push you. And you got to be able to figure that out. You want to make sure that the person feels authentic. And remembering that any coach that you start to work with and maybe find out it isn't a fit, it's their business. So make sure that you're respectful of that. Respect the contract that you, you created with that individual be honest. And if you need to exit the relationship, know that it's a really small world out there and you probably will run into these people. So make sure you exit gracefully <laughs> and and professionally, knowing that it's a business for them. For you, you're like, this isn't working. But for them, it's it's part of their income and it's their business. So respect that. But definitely like spend, don't be in a rush. Don't necessarily go for the, what you think is the, uh, what you're seeing, like what you're seeing, is it what you're getting? Like, make sure that social mm-hmm. media hype is not, it's not necessarily yeah, what you're really getting. Yeah. And um, there's plenty of unqualified people out there that, you know, 
could lead you down a path that's not great. But again, if you feel it's not working, it's okay to say goodbye, but just to be professional. Yeah. And, you know, when it was time for you to move on, right, part of the moving on with you was it was time for you to move on to a different type of coach. It wasn't that right. we couldn't work together, but I'll say that to some clients too. I'm like, you know, I've helped you to the place where I could help you. Now I think you need help in this area where I'm not, where I don't specialize. And I think that's important too when choosing a coach because know that know that coach's strengths and weaknesses and know that that coach is going to help you in a certain area. You don't want a coach who says, oh, I can do all of this. That's a red flag, mm-hmm. right? Like, there are certain things where I get on a call with a coaching prospect. I did this yesterday and um, he still wants to talk to me. And he said, and he's in the direct selling world and you know how that world is a little bit different. And I said, you know, you're so new at what you're doing with this company. I'm not, we're not a good fit for you. Like our coaching program is not a good fit for you. <laughs> you need, you have no sales. And I need you to actually learn their system first, learn their system first of how they do things and what's successful. And he brought his like upper lines, whatever you call those in direct selling, the upper legs, upper lines, upper arms, whatever, right? <laughs> the the people that brought him in, he brought them in on the call. And it was so funny because it was like I, it was sort of a coaching call versus a sales call for me. Because he had like his kind of his leaders on the call who were like, hey, you just need to actually get on more calls with us and watch us. And I'm like, yeah, that I'm like, this is not a good fit for you. And the leaders got off the phone and he wanted to keep talking to me. And he's like, yeah, you know, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I just think that I still want a coach. And I said, that's fine. I said, I just want to be really honest with you. I don't want to take your money. When I think that you should get your seat legs on before you come to this level of coaching. So have a coach that knows their capabilities and if you're a good fit. I, I, I do I would like your opinion on this on investing money out of your pocket for a coach. What did that feel like for you? Uh scary. <laughs> I know, you know, that our story of when when you first pitched your your fee to me, I was like, oh, I don't have that money. But then after a few days, I I found the money like the (laughs) the money is always (laughs) there. But the the question is this, like, what is your what is your desired outcome? And what's it worth to you? Like I'm down here right now investing money in uh, coaching with someone that I found that I feel like has the knowledge that I would like to have. And it's an investment, but it's because the outcome that I desire, I don't have the information. He has the information and mm-hmm. he got to be okay with, with like embracing the suck. I know embrace the suck is, is a phrase that you like to use because I'm sucking at what I'm learning right now <laughs> on, some mm-hmm. le- on some levels. You know, I have to also have perspective and go back and look at him saying, hey, that's pretty darn good that you just learned that five minutes ago. But like, it's okay to suck in the beginning. And that's what a coach can help you do. The investment is worth it. I think that I was afraid and I think that people get afraid 
of that investment because they're worried that they're not going to get return on the investment. But the main thing is any even the highest level coach in the world on whatever it is that you're looking for, they can give you all the information, but you've got to apply it and you've got to do the work. And you've got to be okay with slowing down. Like it sounds like this individual you spoke to yesterday, he wants to run before he can walk. And first you must. That's exactly what I told him. Yeah. (laughs) Like first you've got to, it's okay to have the biggest, you know, craziest goal in the world, which I tend to like to have. And I also have gotten really comfortable, especially like where I am right now with, okay, this is going to take a while because it's going to take work. You have to put in the reps. I cannot become what this coach that I'm working with right now is until I put in the time because what he has, he's worked for for a lifetime. I have other things, but I don't have that. You just have to be able to, you have to be willing to just invest the money and then invest the time and, and, and realize that your return on investment comes from how you apply this information that you're taking and the cost that someone like someone's fee is really a reflection of all of the time that they've put in and the money and the time that they've invested in themselves so that they can be able to pass it along yeah you're you're paying to get fast tracked yep that's right that's exactly right like i could still i could be at home right now looking at videos of this teacher that i'm working with or i could invest the money and fast track and be right there like yeah. there's a like one or two things that i've learned so far in the last couple of days that are like humongous i'm paying a large amount of money to walk away with these humongous breakthroughs and also all the other stuff but it's just it's good to check and see that who you're talking to you're getting what you want like the knowledge that this individual coach has make sure they know make sure they have the knowledge that you seek <laughs> Because a lot, of, like you said, a lot of coaches will say that they have the the knowledge, but they don't necessarily. They, you know, yeah. got to look into that and also trust your gut. But you, the investment is it, exactly what you said, Gina. It's helping you get there a little bit faster. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, and um, I think a lot of the fear in the investment often I've I've sold enough coaching to know is that it's the fear their fear to invest time more so than money, right? Mm -hmm. They're fearful of like, if I'm going to spend this money and then what if it doesn't work? And it's not, it's not a fear in the value, you know, like I'm not going to bring the value. It's their own fear that I have to actually help them get through. Like this is not a magic bullet. This is not a magic diet pill to help you in your sales, right? Like you can't just take a pill and it's going to be better. Coaching is investing time, hurting a little bit in the process while you do it. And are you willing to make that investment to bust your butt, not just the financial investment? And that's kind of the hump I got to get people over when they do do that. And also, lastly on that is when you invest your time and money and energy into a coach or one specific thing, what that means is you're taking away from you're saying no to something else i'm saying yes to investing in this coach i'm saying no like when i said no to you at first gina it's because i wanted to invest in like i think what it was literally to be totally transparent 
I was looking at investing in Disney Vacation Club. Like that's what I, Oh, that's right. Yeah. I remember that. Like yeah. literally like <laughs> saying so then I had to say what I chose was I said no to that, which I'm glad I did. And I said yes to investing in something that would move me forward. So it always means saying yes to something, especially something scary and expensive, means saying no somewhere else. It means pulling up your bootstraps. It means yeah. not drinking yeah. as much Starbucks. It means not, you know, doing this and that for now because you're saying yes to that. And that's yeah. always how that works. Yeah, it's really that comes down to getting your priorities straight. I remember um, being on a prospecting call with someone who is interested in coaching and then, you know, she heard the price and she's like, and then we had a follow up call and she said, well, my husband and I have decided to invest in a fence for our house. <laughs> and I was like, OK, I'm not real sure how that gets you to the next point that you want in your life. But it was just an excuse, right? right. It was just yeah. an objection. And you can't you can't argue people into being wrong. And until they're past their fear, you know, I I, I can kind of push you through your fear a little bit, but I'm definitely not going to pull you through your fear because if I got to pull you through, um, everything is going to be a pull going forward. This is one thing I've learned. Um, We forgot to talk about the name of your book. What's the name of your book? <laughs> the name of my book is Bodybuilder Basics. And can it, you can you can you sh lift it up? Can we see it? Because yeah. we are on video. So this is actually the, one of the first printings. It's the one of the not for resale books, but you can get it on Amazon. I'll share the link with Gina and I'm sure she'll share it in the comments. Fantastic. Um, it's definitely it's a quick read. I love a good like air airplane read. Um, and again, it's there's a there's a lot to be found, even if you're not an athlete or an aspiring athlete. There's a lot to be found in studying the ways of athletes, because the only way that athletes achieve what the success that they do is by focused repetition and yeah. discipline. So yeah. there's a lot yeah. of good mindset stuff in there and a lot of good tips for someone who, even if you're not trying to get to the bodybuilder stage, but you'd like to improve your health and fitness, there's obviously some good tips in here for you. So great book, even if you don't want to be a bodybuilder, great book for, for your own health, but also great book for the, for the mindfulness piece of it and the mental mind, mental mind management, mental, mental management, mental management. Right. Because that gets in all of our ways. There's one other thing that you had said about you said something like it's not your fault or something like that when something goes wrong. I can't remember what the exact thing was. Or no, you said it is your fault. Right. Right. It's your it's your fault if you're not going to succeed. Now, there are things I just kind of wanted to bring this back up. There are things where people are like, well, it's not my fault that the economy's tanking. Right. So I want to I want to put that back out there. There are things that are out of our control, like the economy taking a downturn. What's your fault is that you didn't prepare for that. Mm -hmm. What's your fault? Right. Because we know that there are three things that you can manage your actions, your reactions and your mindset. So what is in your control is taking action. To move things forward. What's what what you control is your how you're going to react to the situation. And then what is your mindset pushing through it? So that's what you got to keep in mind. Right. So when you think like that's not my fault that that happened, you do play a part in it. Yep. You got to take that's responsibility. Called, that's called ownership. Yeah. You got to take responsibility. That's ownership. That's self-accountability. 
um, personal accountability. So that that's my yeah. Uh, every soapbox. every underdog story that you read should remind you that it doesn't matter the circumstances or what happens to you. It matters what you do with what happens to you and how you approach the next step. Ooh, boom. That is a great way to wrap up this show. Thanks for coming back as a guest on The Women Your Mother Warns You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy. And hey, up-level yourself. Go check out salesgravy.university for live and on-demand courses. Um, This will be a couple days. This episode comes out a couple days before our next group mastermind starts at Sales Gravy, which I'm leading, and it is Group Alpha. Group Alpha. So if you want to be an alpha, you want to get into this group mastermind that starts on February 6th. Go check that out at salesgravy.university. And for more information about this podcast, you can go to womenyourmotherwarnsyoubout.com. You can find us there and we're all over social. Um, And you can find Rachel all over social. We'll, We'll drop those links in the show notes. But what's the quickest way for people to reach out to you, Rachel? Probably right now, the quickest way to find me is on Instagram. That's where I hang out the most. Ultra fit lifestyle underscore IFBB pro. Ha ha. I got to add that. Um, or you can <laughs> reach out to me directly at your ultra fit lifestyle at gmail.com. And side note, I just want to plug that Gina is really good at leading masterminds. So if you are an alpha or if you'd like to be an alpha, I highly recommend Gina's masterminds are are epic and you got to do it. Do it now. Oh, thanks for that. I do love running masterminds. Oh, you're the I shit do, do, do. at that. I love those those in-person retreats that you did way back in the day. Oh, so yeah. good. I love doing those. I hope that those come back sometime soon. And I'm about to join a mastermind that's scary. I mean, scary good, like scary pushing me to the limits on um, the money I'm going to spend on it, but also the people I'm going to be surrounded by are pretty epic. So uh, push yourself out of bounds. Awesome. We got to wrap up this show. Thanks, Warners, for listening to this episode brought to you by Sales Gravy. We'll see you real soon. Bye, everybody. I push right through that motherfucker. And I fucking ran like, for, for like 45 minutes or something. <laughs>